Hi, my name is Eva Makovic, and you're listening to the Reader's Digest podcast, in which we navigate the woes and wonders of modern life with leading experts on the tools that you need to survive and thrive in a modern world. In today's episode, Anna Walker speaks to doctor and author Philippa Kay about everything you need to know about menopause and her new book, The M Word. So thank you so much for talking to us, Philippa. Um, My first question is, why did you choose to call the book The M Word? Thank you for having me on. Uh, the reason that I chose the M word was because even saying the word menopause is a bit of a taboo in itself, and people sort of go ooh afterwards. <laughs> um, and it was a, a bit of a play on the fact that if we can't even say it, then how are we going to talk about it? And if we can't talk about it, then how are we possibly going to help women? Um, so that's why it is called the M word, rather as if the menopause is a dirty word, um, and it shouldn't be. Absolutely. And how, to start basic, how would you define the menopause? So the menopause literally means the last period. And it's a diagnosis of retrospect. We can't tell that you've been through the menopause until you haven't bled for one year. But just as puberty took you a number of years, and menarche is the medical word for your first period, so too does the menopause sort of use, if we use that expression, to mean the period of time in which your body goes through the change. Um, And so you can have symptoms for many years before your actual menopause, and that's called the perimenopause or the climacteric. The average age that women go through the menopause in the UK is 51 years old, but they can have symptoms for many years before that. But what the good news is, is that I can treat you whether or not you're having periods. Ah. See, I think a lot of people, when they're younger especially, think of the menopause as one day it stops and you're done. But from what you're saying and from, from reading your book as well, it's a much longer process than that, isn't it? Absolutely, and we have receptors for the hormones estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone all over our bodies. And just as we um, are sort of we're almost kind to teenagers, and we expect them to be grumpy and need more sleep, and you know, and 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 have spots and all those kind of things. And the reason that they're doing that is because they're responding. The hormones are attaching to those receptors all over the body, and they're getting symptoms all over their bodies. Now we are less kind to women going through the menopause, but essentially they can get symptoms all over their body as well um, and it's it's to do with the fact that that as I said the hormones are not just in in your reproductive system absolutely and and why is the menopause something that our bodies need to go through so this was the part of the book which was which for me was both the most fascinating and frustrating part so when I'm writing about something like symptoms or HRT, that's my day-to-day practice that I do in my job um, as a GP. But sort of looking at the social anthropology side behind it, that requires a little bit of research, and it's actually quite fascinating. So very few mammals go through the menopause. Most of them, when they go through, they die within a couple of years afterwards. Even things that are quite close to us, like certain forms of monkeys and chimpanzees and gorillas, they will go through the menopause sort of and then and then die a few years afterwards. Mm. And yet women go through the menopause average age of 51. Average uh, um, life expectancy is about 80 in the UK. So we are living a third of our lives in this postmenopausal state. 
there are lots of theories around as to why um, we have the menopause. The first theory is called the grandmother hypothesis, which is to say that um, in order for grandmothers to help their children raise their own children or their grandchildren, um, they need to stop having periods. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense when you look at other matriarchal societies like elephants. When they go through the menopause, a few years later, they pass away. Another theory is about um, sort of a, a sharing resources, that if there's a finite amount of resources in the world, then if women continued to have babies throughout their lives, that you would be competing for those resources. But again, that doesn't really make that much sense because if we're talking about it from a purely genetic point of view, you share 50% of your genes with your children and only 25% with your grandchildren. So from a purely genetic point of view, you want to save your children first. So we're not exactly sure why it happens. And it may simply be that as we are living longer and longer and longer, parts of us wear out faster than others, quicker than others, and that essentially we just our ovaries stop working, but we are living much longer. But as for the actual reason, we're not quite sure yet. It's interesting, I mean, as you say, a third of our lives is spent post-menopause, but I think when when young women are growing up, <coughs> menopause seems like such a distant idea. We don't spend a whole lot of time thinking that there's going to be such a significant part of our life that happens <coughs> after that time. So I think that when we're young, the idea that we would ever be old seems impossible. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're really young, you know, anybody over about 20 is old when you're five, for example, you know, and, and it's very hard to differentiate that. Mm. Um, we aren't taught about menopause. Uh, so at some point in your life, I hope, you would have had a talk, be it from school or from a parent or from a guardian or a loved one, um, about the birds and the bees. You'd have been talked about puberty, you'd have been talked about sex, I hope. But actually, we weren't talked about the menopause at all. And that's going to change. From July last year, um, the government passed legislation that the menopause will be talked about as part of the uh, PHSE curriculum in secondary schools. So... The newest generation of girls are going to grow up being aware of the menopause, but that leaves the generation above me, my generation, the generation below, mm. not knowing at all. And if you don't know, then you don't even know necessarily which of your uh, symptoms could be attributable to the menopause and therefore when to go and get help. And you asked me before about sort of your periods. Um, I didn't quite answer that question, sorry. The periods, when it comes to the time of the menopause, for example, people think, oh, they just stop one day. Well, they don't stop one day. Um, they might do, but that actually doesn't happen that much. For some women, their periods go quietly. They just get sort of further and further apart and more and more irregular and lighter and lighter. But other women's periods rage against the dying of the light mm. um, and become much more frequent. Um, and so they might come every three weeks instead of every four weeks, get heavier and last longer. Um, and again, I can do something about that, but there is this that the idea that the periods will just sort of gently trickle away isn't always true for women. Mm, some will refuse to go quietly, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, some periods, yeah. <laughs> Not the women. No, the periods. The periods. <laughs> So talking about how until um, last year it's not been taught in schools, as a result, what as a GP do you see as the most common misconception about the menopause? I think it's, it's a combination of things, uh, but it's game over. My life's over. I'm, I'm past my point of reproductive capability, therefore what's the point? Mm-hmm. Um, that comes up definitely um, I think that most women will be aware of the potential for hot flushes 
but they aren't aware that their headaches or their joint pains or their low mood or their insomnia or their loss of libido might be related to the menopause. Mm -hmm. And then I think that the other thing that comes up for me quite a lot is people have gone through their menopause and it's now five years later. And then they're coming because they have recurrent urinary tract infections or because mm. sex is really painful um, or something else. And when I say, oh, that's related to the menopause, so, but I did that. You know, or 10 years later, and we're talking about osteoporosis and I'm talking about menopause, but I finished that. And if we consider the menopause to be a long-term estrogen deficiency state, then you are going to have symptoms at the time when you suddenly go through the change. And then there's going to be medium-term difficulties and long-term difficulties. Yeah, I mean, we are sort of taught to think about it as puberty in terms of a phase that happens. But there is also the similarity that you don't go back from puberty, I suppose. And it has that in common that menopause, once it happens, is a, is a lifelong change for you. Yeah. Um, and whilst there are certain things that I can do to, in a way, help you go back a little bit, I can replace the hormones, be, them, be it topically into the vagina just for vaginal symptoms, or be it systemically throughout the whole body. So I can not reverse it as such in that you're never going to ovulate again. Um, I can't you know, suddenly restore your fertility, but I can give you back some of the hormones that are causing your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the idea that the menopause means life is over, that it's something that you have to struggle through, that it's something that, that you have to suffer through is incorrect. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I hear all the time is about HRT. Mm. and whether or not HRT is safe. And I think the media has a big part to play in that. And the truth is, is that when we talk about scientific studies and doctors and guidance, we the guidance is written in response to the research that is available at the time. As that research changes, the guidance changes, and what doctors do change. And so in the 90s, HRT was extremely popular, lots of people had it, and then a big study came out in in the thousands, um, and uh, it, it was talking about the safety of HRT, and loads of doctors pulled all their women off HRT. Yeah. But that message seems to have stayed despite more and more research going into the risk factors and the the risks versus the benefits of HRT and the HRT being more and more refined. And actually for most women, and I'm not saying all, but for most women who start HRT within 10 years of the menopause, the benefits outweigh the risks. And by the benefits, I'm not just talking about resolving the symptoms, which can be life-changing. I mean, 10% of women think about giving up work because of their symptoms related to the menopause. So so having hormone replacement therapy can be life-changing, but also decreases your risk of osteoporosis, of heart attack, of dementia. And actually, women on HRT are less likely to die full stop. All causes of mortality decrease. Yeah, I mean, I think for many women still, like you say, just the acronym HRT is enough to make them feel nervous. And I know women in my life who have specifically said as they begin the symptoms of menopause, I just don't want to go on HRT. They're just... Sorry. So I think the women need to be informed. Mm. Um, And then they decide and they make their own decisions when they know the risks versus the benefits. So let's throw some numbers out there. Let's make it really clear. The background risk of developing... um, breast cancer between the ages of 50 and 59 is about 23 per thousand women. So whether or not you have HRT, 23 women will go on to develop breast cancer. 
If you have old, uh, HRT containing estrogen only, which you would only have if you don't have a womb, there is no increased risk of having breast cancer. If you have estrogen and progesterone HRT, which is what you would have if you do have a womb, we've got four more cases. So that's four extra cases per thousand women, so mm. 0.4%. When you put that into context with things that women are potentially already doing, that number doesn't seem very big. So if you smoke or drink more than uh, the recommended units of alcohol per week, that increases your risk by three and five cases respectively. If you have obesity, that doubles your risk another 24 cases So per thousand women. So when you put it in context with things that you might be doing and not thinking about it, like having a glass of wine, um, actually that risk isn't very big. If you do develop breast cancer and you are on HRT, you are more likely to have what is called a hormone receptor positive breast cancer, which is easier to treat. Mm. So there are there are cons, and if you've had breast cancer, then we're not giving you HRT. You know, we're not going to increase that risk more. But when we put it into context of other things and add in the added benefits of the things that I said, as well as your symptom control. For many women, those benefits outweigh the risks, not for all, but for many. I think part of that fear maybe also plays into, I mean, we talk about how it's not discussed in schools, but also the taboo around menopause seems to mean that women aren't as readily sharing their own experiences of the menopause with each other or with their children. Um, how, How can we encourage women to open up to each other about it? So I think that women might are more comfortable talking about some of the easier things like open a window, I'm, I'm dripping with sweat, I'm boiling. Mm. Right? But they are less likely to talk about the fact that sex hurts so they haven't had any. Um, or that they've suddenly lost confidence driving because anxiety is so overwhelming um, or any of those other symptoms. And I think that the first of all is that we have to to increase the level of education um, in school. That's the first point. But secondly, we have to keep talking. It's why I wrote the book, and that's why I encourage people. I mean, I'd love it if you bought one and you bought one for your best mate, but if you can't, then hand it on and mm-hmm. make sure that actually we do get that message across. And that's why I'm very straight talking, and I'm very straight talking in the media, and I use words like vagina in the same way that I use words like elbow, because to me it is the same thing, mm-hmm. and we have to keep talking about it. If we cannot look off after our bodies, then how can we possibly derive enjoyment and pleasure from them, be that sexually or just physically, or live our lives? And the menopause affects all of your relationships, work, social, uh, romantic, all of them. Um, And it's so important for women to know that they don't have to just survive, that this can be an opportunity for it to be a new chapter of your life and you can feel healthy and you can feel like you. And the only way that we're going to get women to know that is if we keep shouting loudly about it. I mean, it would be so wonderful to see a character in a mainstream television programme, for example, that experienced symptoms of the menopause beyond the hot flush because hot flushes have just become synonymous with oh, she's standing in front of a fridge or she's going outside when it's cold, she's going through the menopause. But it would be wonderful to see some representation of these other changes to sort of deep dive into the the other effects it can have on women going through this time. Absolutely, you know, and it's amazing the power of um, the popular soaps um, and when when they put out stories uh, that are related to health or abuse or or something like that, they, they, they are extremely powerful educational um, medium so yes I would love that and what I'd actually would really like to see portrayed is the psychological distress that these women go through Um, and that you know even a hot flush people go oh you're just a bit hot well maybe I'm so hot 
um, and red in the face and sweating that I can't stand up in front of my colleagues anymore to give a presentation. Mm. Maybe, uh, and that's affecting my job and my job prospects and all of that. Maybe, as I said, I'm so anxious I can't drive. I've stopped sleeping. I'm yelling at my partner and my kids all the time or whatever. But the other thing that loads of women will describe is what they call a menopausal brain fog, which are difficulties with memory and concentration. Mm. Add that to anxiety, low mood, insomnia, loss of libido, and, and women begin to actually worry that they're losing, that they are essentially going mad, or that they've got dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see a lot of those concerns. And when I say, actually, the guidance is that we can try HRT potentially and they say but HRT for depression why why don't I need an antidepressant and the answer is is if you haven't had depression your whole life so if this is your first episode of depression um and and it doesn't have to be your whole life but if you've had recurrent depression before and it's not something new then maybe it's antidepressants but if it's you've got um a depression or anxiety that is new and around the time of the menopause then actually it's more likely to be hormonally driven mm. and if we replace those hormones with hrt women come back in and they're like it's a light bulb turning turned back on and i recognized who i was again Mm. And something all of those other changes can affect mentally is self-confidence, especially as the menopause, as you say in your book, can also affect skin, hair, breasts, nails, you know, several of the physical traits we associate with traditional femininity. Yeah. So I think if you add in, so let's start at the beginning. If the menopause is the end of your fertility, then if fertility is what defines you as a woman, and in our slightly paternalistic and often misogynistic society, it is mm. whether or not that's how women we should be defining ourselves, and I would purport that we that we should not. Yes. <laughs> but that's sort of how it is. So if that ends, that's the first thing, and that's already a bit of a shock. Add to that, you know, the horrible cartoons of saggy breasts and a burgeoning moustache, um, you mm-hmm. know, and a bit of hair loss, and it's not a wonder women are terrified now <laughs> about entering the menopause. And I think that it is that they do worry about a loss of femininity. Adding to that, that as you get older and your metabolism slows down, you're more likely to gain weight. Naturally, HRT is more likely to help you keep off the weight. And if your joints hurt and you're not exercising, so your weight goes up, you're losing body confidence, and you have a loss of libido that's hormonally driven, plus you feel a bit low and anxious, which also affects your libido. Add all of that together, and your drive for sex has gone through the floor. And Mm -hmm. even when you have sex, the sex isn't as good. You're less able to become aroused and less able to reach orgasm. And all of that then has an impact on your relationship, which then has an impact on your self-esteem. And round and round we go. And it becomes really a complex interaction between the psychological and the physical factors. And while if the reason that that you don't feel feminine and you don't want to have sex is because you hate your partner, I can't fix that. (laughs) But what I can fix is if it's hormonally driven and adding a bit of testosterone is going to make a difference. Or if sex hurts vaginally because your vagina is too dry um, and that I can use appropriate lubricant or vaginal estrogen and that will make a difference you know and so it depends exactly what the cause is and that cause as I said can be multifactorial but as women we need to learn to be defined on our own terms and not on the terms that society puts on us be that um, about mothering and and fertility and all of that and therefore saying that when you're past that you are past your sell by date and when the deputy governor of the bank of england uses the word menopausal to describe the economy to mean stagnant and a bit rubbish Mm. that's a marker 
realise essentially how misogynistic our society is that we live in. And we need to be saying, stop using that kind of word when the menopause is something that all women go through and can lead useful, effective, but most importantly, happy lives afterwards. I think a lot of women have... Rant over. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the rant. Seriously, I'm very here for the rant. Um, I think something a lot of women have been conditioned to believe as well is is that it's normal for women to have issues with their self-confidence. It's... You, it's how it should be that you feel insecure sometimes or it's just part and parcel of the burden of being a woman in our society but when do women know that it's time to go and see their GP? So I think that's a very complex question mm. um, in that it is normal and part of the human psyche to worry about ourselves, worry about what our purpose is in life, uh, worry that we're not good enough. Um, And that's sort of part of the existential angst, why am I here, that people have. Mm. Um, But we are trained, and especially as women, but it's coming up for boys as well, we are trained since a tiny age in a way that is very hard to fight, to view thinness to equal health, to view thinness to equal attractiveness, Mm. to view um, our bodies as something that needs to be fixed, that there is something wrong with us. I mean, I've got a four-year-old daughter and uh, and two older boys, and when the older boys were younger, there was a girls' party at school, and they straightened all the curly-haired girls' hair mm-hmm. and said, oh, how pretty and wonderful you looked. And as a curly-haired woman, I was up in arms mm. because... I don't want you to teach my daughter that her curly hair is bad and is something that needs to be fixed. She's full. Mm. You know, it's not something that needs to be fixed. That's part of her. And I think that we need to celebrate not body positivity in a way, body neutrality, that, that essentially that doesn't matter. What matters is who you are. And we have got such a long way to go in society to get anywhere close to that. The images that children see when they walk down the street on advertising hoardings, in magazines, on the television, you know, they, they, the images of um, slimness equaling attractiveness, health and wealth and popularity are immense. Um, and I think that's a real problem. And then the issue then is, is that when women think that think or are worried that they might be losing that in some way, that they think that they become worthless. And there is a huge multi, multi, multi-million pound industry against ageing. Mm. You know, the, the whole beauty industry is about stopping ageing. Well, actually, maybe in other cultures or maybe we should hold up older people as something to be respected and admired for their resilience and their longevity and potentially for their wisdom and not because they've got wrinkles on their face be, be thought of as less. And that's what I really want. Whilst this book is about the menopause, what's it saying is that last third of your life isn't game over. That last third of your life is the third of your life. Mm, definitely. And that, that leads on actually to another thing I really wanted to discuss, which is constantly in the media, we're made to believe that menopause is a completely depressing doom and gloom time in, in your life. Yeah. But it's, it's not, is it? I mean, are there positive aspects that can come from this time in your life? 
So I am yet to see an article about the menopause that doesn't have a woman with a red face and her head in her hands looking slightly gloomy <laughs> or hanging out of a window. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean hanging, hanging, but <laughs> sticking her head out of the window yeah. to get some fresh air. Um, and, and I think that, that we should, when I'm doing the publicity, actually for this book, I've been very clear. I want to have pictures of women running down the street and and, and at work and, and at school pickup and all those other things, actually just pictures of women living their lives yeah. um, and not and not depressed. I think that yes, that there is a big, a big role of the media saying, you know, game over, it's all depressing. And I think that actually, women are, are lots of women are quite frightened and, and quite dread the idea that something could be to do with the menopause and the menopause itself. And that, that whilst my book is about the menopause, and yes, of course, it lists all the symptoms. Um, and it lists the treatments, but it's also essentially a call to arms to say um, you're not heading into a decline, you're heading into a new chapter in your life. And that, that can be a positive start, a chance to look at your health, a chance to look at how much you exercise, what you put in your body in terms of what you eat. You know, what is it that's important to you? What matters now and what am I going to do about it? And if you use it almost as a, as a, as a time to stop and take check of your physical state um, and your psychological state and then come up with a plan of how you're going to improve that in order that you can keep being you and keep doing the things that you want to do. And it is also, I suppose, in some ways, a prompt from your body to say, think about you now. This is time to pay attention to your body and what's going on with your health, where so many women spend a lot of this time in their life looking out for other people in their life, be that husbands, children, friends, work commitments. So I think, I mean, that that is is a heteronormative, um, essentially, stereotype of a woman, but for many, many, many women, this the stereotype is real. You know, I, I am 40, I have three young kids, I can't have a day off with a cold. Mm. You know, even if I would have a day off from work, there's still everything at home and three kids that need to be fed. And women um, are still the default parent. Um, you know, if your kid is sick at school, who, who's school going to ring first, mum or dad? Mm. tend to ring mum, don't they? Um, and so they're often the default parent. And whilst we have more and more women in the workplace than we have ever before, what we haven't got is the, the equivalent step up from the men at home. Mm. So now women are doing both. They're running their households, and I'm talking extremely generally, and I appreciate that, Um, but women are now going to work and running their homes well, Um, and that's that's difficult, and anything that I say, actually, that if you, you can't look after anybody else if you can't look after yourself. So if you are not well, then you are no good to all of those people that rely on you, be that partner, kids, friends, family, work, the dogs, whatever. You have to be physically and psychologically well yourself in order to be able to give. Mm. And just finally then, if there's somebody in our listeners' life, perhaps not themselves, that's going through menopause, maybe it's a colleague, a friend, a partner, a mother, what's some advice you could give them about supporting that person? So I think the first first thing, buy the books, that's the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> Very important. <laughs> yes. That was my best advice. No, I think the first thing is that we need to we need to ask and we need to keep talking. And it's very easy. That sort of, how are you, is a question that 
people ask all the time, they don't really listen for the answer and they don't really actually care what the answer is. It's just sort of a form of speech. How are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. A number of people that come into my doctor's surgery and I say, how are you? And they say, fine. And I think, what are you here then for? <laughs> They're here for something. Um, but that sort of bit comes out straight away. And I and I actually urge you to look behind that, look behind the smile. Are you really okay? What's going on? Um, and it's that second question as opposed to just taking the blanket first answer and um, that often will let you in um, and I would say that the, that the next thing that you need to do is that everybody needs to get informed information is power knowledge is power and unless you know that your palpitations might be related to the menopause you're thinking that you're having a heart attack yeah. and you're not going therefore and asking for the right things Mm. or even helping your doctor realise that your joint pains probably aren't arthritis, but they're related to the menopause. And so you need to be informed and informed about what your symptoms could be and therefore what your choices are. And then my final piece of advice is if you are struggling, in whatever way you are struggling, go and ask for help and go to your GP. It may be that in your practice there is somebody with extra qualification in women's health or sexual health or in the menopause. Ask the GP receptionist, say, is there anybody that's got any extra qualifications or an interest? Um, You know, if you come and see me about women's health, it's marvellous. If you come and see me for a joint injection, I'm sending you to my colleague down the corridor because I don't do those. Um, You know, and different GPs will have slightly different skill sets. Whilst we do everything, we still, within that, have areas that we might have extra training in might have extra knowledge or an interest in and that would be the person to go to within your practice and if you if there isn't someone like that or if you feel that you're up against some resistance then I would go to the NHS website or take something like my book along and say this is what I've got what do you think Mm. and if the answer is I don't think it's that then that's fine you know people come to my surgery all the time clutching bits of newspaper um, and sometimes they're right and sometimes Dr Google was wrong and that's fine. I'm more than happy to be challenged that way. So my final piece of advice would be if you are struggling, please, please ask for help. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Philippa. And You're welcome. The M Word by Dr. Philippa Kay is available now. Please rate and review our podcast if you enjoy what we do and tell us about your experience with menopause on Facebook or tweet us at Reader's Digest UK. For more stories about health, food, and culture, subscribe to our newsletter at readersdigest.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time.